Sarashiva Samarambam Shankara Charya Madhyamam Asmara Charya Paryantam Vande Guru Param Param Ishwaro Gurat Meti Murti Veda Vibhagine Vyomabad Vyaptadehaya Dakshinamurtaye Namaha Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta Gocharam Tamagocharam Govindam Paramanandam Sadguru Pranatosyam Om Sri Krishna Govinda Narayanam Om Okay the topic is love, bhakti, uh, and uh, it's. Uh, I want you to be really honest. Okay, don't don't pretend that you're very spiritual or anything. Just be an honest person. Okay, because I'm going to ask you a question. You have, you have to. I, I want everybody, anybody who doesn't want love, who doesn't want it, to raise their hand. <laughs> I guess I'm the only one. <laughs> Why did I raise my hand? Because I am love. Love is my nature. So, if you want love, and everybody just agreed, remember you agreed now, but we can start. I don't have any arguments. That's good. If, if you want love, you don't want to seek it. You wouldn't, it wouldn't. Let me give you a choice. I'll give you another choice, another question. Do Would you prefer to seek love or would you prefer to have love seek you? How many would like to uh, seek love? <laughs> how, uh, how many would prefer what? To have love seek them? <laughs> right. So, uh, then what's the solution? So, Vedanta has a solution for this problem. In other words, to get love to seek you. Because this seeking for love is a huge problem, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because you're seeking in a world that's of, of people. Unless, of course, you a dog, you want love, love from a dog. But you can get love from a dog and a cat. That's not hard. Uh, I know you think they love you because it's you, but they don't love you because it's you. <laughs> they love you because you feed it. And if you don't feed it, they will go away and get love. They will convince somebody else that they love them to get the food. Dog love and cat love is nice, but it's not the kind of love you really want. Yeah. You want to have a 
a healthy love relationship with all the people in your life. All, all your relationships should be love relationships. And if you understand that love is your nature, that love is what you are, then every relationship will be a love relationship. Because everyone will want what? To be with you. Everyone will love you and respect you. Because in your presence, they will feel, your love will invoke the love that they are, and that love will become, will spring into your heart and your mind, and they will become happy. Because love and happiness are the same thing. So, how do, how do we get to the place where, where we don't have to do anything to get love, where love comes to us? And that's where Vedanta comes into the picture. People, people say Vedanta is an intellectual uh, path, but it's not, it, it, it's not an intellectual path, it's a path of love. Because love isn't a feeling. You don't uh, love what what the feeling that people are seeking uh, is called love, but it's not love. It's desire. And when your desires are met, then you feel love. But of course, if the love that you feel depends upon your desires or the desires of another person. It's not going to be a, a satisfying kind of love, is it? It'll be conditional love. It will be a love that depends upon circumstances. Whereas the love that you are is independent of any circumstances. That's what we mean by freedom. Vedanta is a teaching that reveals you you yourself as what ever free non-dual love we don't make you we don't give you love because you already are love but we take away the ignorance that you have about yourself that and that reveals that your nature is love and then you realize you're you were always were love that you don't, and that you don't have to seek for love uh, anymore, because you totally love is non-dual love is is its own reward. It's totally satisfying. So if somebody's loving you, you you love yourself, and if somebody's not loving you, you love yourself, and if somebody's hating you, you love yourself. So it's totally independent of what? Of objects. Uh, human beings are just very simple. I know you believe you're very complicated and complex and you have to go to a psychiatrist to get all of your neuroses all worked out and so forth and so on, but we're not very complex at all. We're really very simple. There's just me, Consciousness, existence, love, bliss, you can call it bliss if you want. And there's the objects that present themselves to me. In this case, by objects I mean experiences. 
because this kind of love that we all chase, that we're all seeking, is a just an experience. So if you find that kind of love, in other words, that kind of love is going to go. Because any, any experience that begins, uh, ends. There's no experience that begins that doesn't end. Need you to understand this. I know, when you fall in love, you, you'd want it to last forever, don't you? <coughs> but you're asking the impossible. Because it was something that began, if something begins, then it's going to end. That's just the law of the universe. Any object that begins, ends. So, when you fall in love with an object, with another person, let's just keep it personal, with another person, you have a big problem, don't you? Immediately. What is that problem? You've got what you want, you feel really ecstatic and high and, and happy, <coughs> but what's your problem? You're afraid that the love will go, isn't it? So, uh, because anything you gain, you can lose. It's just a rule. It's just a, a rule of life. There's no exceptions to this. So when you have something that's important to you, whatever it is, then the fear of loss immediately comes. As soon as you gain something that's valuable, you're immediately afraid of losing it, aren't you? And that fear of losing that feeling of love huh, takes the joy out of the love. In other words, when you get what you want, you're visited by constant anxiety. Isn't that right? You're always worried. You know, my husband will turn and see a prettier girl. My wife will fall in love with another man. Or whatever it is. You're always worried. Well, huh? So how great is that kind of love? That object-oriented love? We call that dualistic love. Dual love. It's a love that depends upon the affections of an object. The nature of the object that you're in love with. Yeah, I know this is a hard, hard uh, to accept, isn't it? But when I ask you to raise your hand, uh, you know, it, it, it showed me that everybody here wants love, is seeking love. Which means what? You don't know you are love. I'm the only one that raised my hand because I know I am love, so I don't seek it. So, so this seeking love, you know, and I, I'm not trying to be mean or nasty or disappoint you. I'm not, that's not the purpose here at all. But I'm trying to get you to honestly look at your, your thinking around this topic, around your emotions, around your feelings. Because you can't, you can't solve an emotional problem without thinking about the emotional problem, thinking differently about the emotional problem. 
It's not going to happen. And, you know, people, when they feel certain things, whatever it is, they, they're, they're so in love with the feeling that they stop thinking. Huh? The spiritual thing, when, when you have a big spiritual experience, let's say an experience of God, call it, I want to call it experience of God, you have a big experience of God. You, huh? What happens? You get so overwhelmed, it's so beautiful, it's so interesting, it's so exciting, it's so amazing to come out of this world for a minute or two or an hour or two and experience this feeling of wholeness and completeness and oneness, uh, that you just get, your emotions just, uh, just delude your intellect. No, you don't want to think about it, because if you think about it, you're afraid you'll come away from that feeling. Isn't it? Yeah. I see there's people nodding their head. It means you know that is the problem. So instead of gaining knowledge of what it is you're experiencing, all you get is a feeling, and then when the, when the experience ends, what happens? There's no knowledge. Then you want to get that feeling back, because you didn't understand that what you were experiencing was just yourself, which is always present. <coughs> the love that you feel is always present because it's your nature. It's never apart from you. But you want this intense experience. And because of that, huh, you suffer. Wanting is suffering. That's another very difficult uh, fact to assimilate. Because we're told we're supposed to want things, aren't we? Our whole society tells us you are a needy, wanting person, and you need to want all these things. Have you seen those big signs they used for Coca-Cola? Obey your thirst. <laughs> well, uh, obey your thirst. Now that, what is that? Does that, does that set you free? Make you independent, that belief? No, it doesn't. It makes you dependent upon your appetites, your desires, your wants. And, and being dependent upon those wants for your happiness is not happy. <laughs> it's not the way to approach life. <coughs> now, we've got, so, we have to establish first that what I really want is love, and the non-dual love, and the non-dual love is free of what? Of objects. It's independent. It's the nature of myself. It's the nature of consciousness. It's the nature of existence. Love and consciousness and existence are all the same, are all synonyms. They're all the same thing. So if you're conscious and aware, uh, you 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 exist, and if you exist, you are love. Your existence is love. Your existence is awareness. 
your bliss or your love is what existence and awareness. Your awareness is existence and love. So all three of those are just words that reveal what? The whole complete satisfaction that you feel when you're what? When you're non-separate from yourself. So, and our, our job, the Vedanta job, is to do what? Is to help you, give you tools, practical tools, that this isn't a belief system or religion, give you practical tools that will help you to what? To remove that sense of limitation. Because you're already experiencing love all the time, you just uh, you just don't appreciate it. You don't know that. Being ignorant doesn't mean you're stupid. It doesn't mean you're not intelligent. It means you're just ignoring something that you have, something very valuable that you have. That's what ignorant ignore means to not notice. It doesn't mean it's not there. It means love is there, but you don't notice it. Why? Why don't you notice that your nature is love? And why aren't you satisfied with the love that you are? Because you're, uh, you're only noticing your desires and your fears. The fear of loneliness creates a desire to be loved. Or the desire to, to be loved, what? Creates a fear of losing it. Either way, uh, you, you have this fear and desire problem. And because those fears and the desires are so uh, attractive, you don't notice what you already are. That's what we call that ignorance. You're ignoring your nature. Now, this ever-free, non-dual love that I am <coughs> is, you can't, you can't seek it. You can only understand it. So, if you're going to understand it, then you need to seek, and what seeking would you do? You need to seek knowledge because Knowledge of who you are is going to remove your ignorance. So we're not seeking for the experience of love, because love is our nature. We're seeking to get rid of our ideas and opinions and beliefs and prejudices and biases that we have that are keeping us from appreciating our nature. And for that, we need to be able to what, think differently about ourselves and the world. So, in other words, we have to re-educate ourselves to learn to think differently because it's the way we're thinking that's causing the problem. It's not anything wrong with you at all. Understand? There's Vedanta that we say you're beautiful, you're pure, you're perfect, your nature is love. You are totally lovable. That's, that's where we start when we communicate with the human beings. <clears throat> so, uh, so you don't need to blame yourself and feel bad. 
understand, because you're suffering, because you're lonely, and because you don't feel loved or lovable, or you're unable to love, you don't, you shouldn't feel bad about that, because it's not your fault. You should what? You should pursue understanding, self-knowledge. In other words, self-knowledge means the knowledge of reality, because the reality is just what? Just yourself. Whatever you're experiencing is just yourself. You're never actually experiencing anything other than yourself. I know when you think you're a person, then you think everything's other than yourself. And so you always have a problem, a transactional problem with everything, don't you? You're trying to get things you don't have and retain things you do, and things are always changing and your mind is always changing. So you're constantly agitated and busy in your mind. And you can't feel the love that you are. You can't be satisfied with yourself because you're trying to like manipulate the objects, including your own mind and your own ego. You're trying to manipulate those to produce the kind of, this kind of temporary happiness that you call happiness or love. So, I've got to learn to think differently. See, Vedanta's not easy. I'm not trying to sell you an easy... I can get you high and make you happy and keep you laughing, and, and, uh, and everybody will think they had a wonderful experience, but so what? When, as soon as you get away from the satsang, as soon as you get away from this, uh, this c communication, then what? You're right back to where you were before. You haven't learned anything. You just had a nice experience. You might as well go to a restaurant and have a nice experience. Or a rock concert and have a nice experience. What's the difference? You don't learn anything. You just get a feeling out of it. So I'm not here to make you feel good or to inspire you. Although you will get inspired and you will feel good if you understand something that you, that you need to know. Because there's no, there's no high like knowledge. There's no power like knowledge. Understand? Knowledge uh, is, is the greatest power. Emotions is a lovely power. Feelings are a nice power. But what? But the power of knowledge will set you free. And to get knowledge, you have to think. You have innate knowledge. In other words, the knowledge of your existence is built in, so you don't need that. The knowledge of your existence, of your consciousness, it's built in. It, uh, what do I mean by that? Let me ask you another question. <coughs> Please raise your hand if, if anyone ever told you that you were conscious. Someone told you they were you were conscious? Yes, of course. Yes. And, and, and what did you think when they said you're conscious? Um, I believe in it. But, but how can I, but how I can you realize it? Or, okay, but but okay. Sometimes I, I, I do that. Yeah, <laughs> but but I, I mean, it, wasn't that kind of funny 
to, that they would say that somebody would say you're gone. No, you're the only person who raised their hand. Why? Why didn't all the other people raise their hand? Because you know your conscience. You couldn't understand what they said unless you were conscious. So every that's why your mother never told you you were conscious, or the school or the teachers never told you you were conscious. Huh? That nobody ever did because it's a self-evident fact that that you're conscious. So, huh? Now, what about existence? Did anyone ever tell you? Raise your hand if anyone ever told you that you exist. Huh? No hands go up. For the, for the same reason that what? No hands went up when I asked if you were consciousness, because your consciousness and your existence. Huh? Are the same thing. You, 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 you don't exist unless you know you exist, and you don't know you exist unless you're conscious, and you can't be conscious unless you <coughs> exist, can you? So consciousness and existence are the same. They're not different. But like, what about love? Did anyone ever tell you you were love? Huh? <laughs> yeah. I'm the first one. <laughs> no, but you need to be told that. If you knew that, then you wouldn't be looking for it. But everybody's looking for love. If you knew that, you wouldn't be looking for love. You'd be satisfied if you know you are love. Because when are you not present? You're never not present. You're always present. So, and if your nature is love, then you're love all the time. If you're love all the time and you're and, and you're always experiencing yourself, are you ever experiencing anything other than yourself? No, you're not. You're if if you're always experiencing yourself and yourself is always present and yourself is love, then you're uh, then you are love all the time. And the proof of that is that you won't be seeking for love. If, you know, if you really know that, then you don't seek for love. If you have a doubt about that, <coughs> then you will seek for love. Because being away from your, your own nature, from the beauty that you are, from the perfection and purity of that unconditional love that you are, being away from that for one minute, uh, is painful. In fact, in the this text, the Yoga of Love, it says that a person who's away from that their love nature, even for a second, is like a fish out of water. You know a fish? A fish you take it out of water. It's just gas, huh? It's flopping all around and it's gasping like crazy. Oh my God, it's air, air, air. It only wants air, huh? It wants water. Huh? It wants water. water. It only wants water. A human being in the water, huh? Only wants air. But a fish out of water only wants water. Sorry. So, so we have to tell you that you are love. 
And then we have to prove it to you, we have to show it to you. That's all. That's our job. And how do we do that? Well, we have to take away the ignorance. Now that's not that easy. It's like going to school. It's going to take a while for this to happen. So so don't expect that you know you're gonna walk out of here fully enlightened and, and in a big love bubble. Well maybe you will, but <laughs> we don't have time to to um, to cover this whole text. We only have a few hours today. But if you if you study this text, and I'm here just to introduce you to the ideas, and we'll take a few of the verses, and we'll explain that. We'll explain life in terms of love. That's what this chart is. We're going to get to that today. And we'll discuss a few of the important verses here, which will what, give you an opportunity to pursue this path of love. In a consistent way, not just happenstance, but in a consistent way, if you actually pursue this inquiry, this knowledge very carefully and consistently, uh, day to day, you will so you will uh, discover that your nature is love. It's it's inevitable, it, but you need to know how to uh, to do this, how to think. Seeking is not seeking is not going to solve the problem. The inquiring is going to solve the problem, and inquiry or thinking is a discipline. So you're going to have to, you know, commit yourself to changing the way you think about love, about yourself, about life, about the world, and about God. God means your creator. Because you can't throw God out of the picture. I know, I know. There's but most of you people in the room here have probably thrown out God, haven't you? No. 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 Very good. Oh, that's good. Because if you if you still got God in you, if you got God in your life, then you're then you're way ahead. But most spiritual people, in spirit, Western spiritual people, have thrown God out. Why? It's the dumbest thing you can do. I did. It's the dumbest thing you can do, actually. It's a misconception of the non-duality teaching. Because they say there, there is no two, there is only one. And if there is only one, there can't be a God and there can't be me. Yeah, and, 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 but the basic negative, it is a misconception, but, of that teaching, but the basic reason that people have nothing to do with God is because the church has been associated with God, and so many, so many wicked, evil things have taken place in the name of God and religion, that people have thought, thrown the religion out, and what? And they've thrown the baby out with the bath. They've thrown God out with when they threw out religion. But religion is uh, absolutely necessary for freedom. Understand? Religion means what? Religio. It means to relink, to reconnect. A ligament is a, is a, 
is a piece of, of, of some flesh here that the what? That connects two things. There are ligaments connecting the, the thigh to the, the calf, to here. It's a ligament. It connects this and this. So I can go like this. Right? If there wasn't a connection, a ligament, then I, then I couldn't move my leg. So religion, it reconnects you to what? <clears throat> to your creator. To your, let me ask you this. Uh, how many people here are self-created? <laughs> huh? Again, no hands go up. Huh? <laughs> well, okay. Then what cre or who or what created you? Huh? What what created you? You're here. My desire. Desire. Big desire to get a human body. <laughs> yeah, desire, my mom, my pop, and so forth. But what created your mom and your pop, and what created the desire? The creator. Huh? What created that? Something brought you here. Do you, do you remember? Does anybody remember being asked before they were born where they wanted to be born and what their parents should be and what their life should be like? Did you, do you, does anybody recall that? No, nobody recalls that because it didn't happen. You did not choose to come here. I know there's this belief in the spiritual world that you chose your, your lot and so forth and so on. But you didn't. Because if you had a choice, you wouldn't have chose to be miserable, would you? But you get plenty of misery. Huh? You wouldn't have chosen this life, you'd have chosen a perfect life. Because you had a choice. But you didn't have a choice. So, what is it that created me? That's called... God. Okay? We have a... We, we, to get people away from... God is a, is, a, is a difficult term because of this religious problem. So we, we have a different word in Sanskrit, in India. Uh, and it's called Ishwar. But God is fine, as long as you understand. It's hard to talk Ishwar in a Western culture because they don't know what the word is. But Ishwar is a very different God from the Christian idea of God. So, uh, so now, now look. Before you can get free and independent, you have to acknowledge your dependence on God. You can't, this is a problem with the modern spiritual world. They throw God out also. They say there's no God. There's only the self. So there, huh, when you accept that notion that they have in the modern spiritual world, what are you doing? You're putting yourself at a huge disadvantage because you're denying your vulnerability, your dependence on God. You're denying your primary relationship. 
before you have a relationship with your wife and your children and your dog and your cat and your body and your boss and the world, before you have any of that relationship at all, you have a relationship with God because what? God put you here. And God gave you this desire to stay here as long as possible, didn't it? Does anybody want to, to does any, let me ask another question. Does anybody not want to live one more day? You have a choice. You could, uh, you're given a choice. You can live one more day or not. What's your answer? I want to live one more day or I'm happy to die now. I want to live one more day, isn't it? Well, why do you have that desire to live one more day? Why? Because uh, life is beautiful. Because life is valuable. The life that you've been given by God is the most valuable, beautiful thing there is. And this world in which you appear, huh, that's also been given by God. Not just the life, but the world itself is beautiful. It's fascinating. It's wonderful. It's exciting. It's amazing. That's why you want to live. And this thing that you value so much, your own life, is a gift from God, isn't it? You didn't create it. You didn't create the world. You didn't create your body. So, so what? So, so you want to throw that God, that relationship with God out and go somewhere else to some transcendental state beyond or some awareness or something somewhere else or go forth there. Some, you want to leave this world and leave this body and leave your life because huh, you want to, huh? <coughs> That's ridiculous. Being right here now, being embodied, being alive, the joy, the huh, the love of your of of life is the love of God, and that that means what you're totally dependent upon God. <coughs> so by throwing God out of, out of the out of your life, what are you doing? You're creating a huge problem for yourself. You're, you're, get, you're going to get what? You're going to get lots of conflicts and lots of problems, lots of anger, lots of depression. You're going to have lots of problems in life. Why? Because God is life. Life is God. God is your environment. It's the air you breathe. It's the fire that's digesting your food. Understand? It's the sun and the moon and the stars. It's the people that are in your life. There's not one God or many gods. There's only God. And you want to what? And you're totally dependent upon this God. And you want, huh? You want to throw that away? But God is the rules of life. We call it the Dharma field. It's the field of life. It's a field of laws and rules. And God is the Dharma Raja, the king of Dharma. In other words, the king 
of the, of the rules that are operating here. The what? The physical rules, there's physical laws, the psychological laws, and the moral laws that are operating here. This is a, not just a physical universe or an emotional universe, this is a moral universe, values. And those laws are built into you, and if you uh, because God is in you. So by not understanding God and not worshiping God, worshiping means paying attention to <coughs> Not loving God, we call it bhakti. Bhakti means loving God, it means devotion. By not loving God, by not worshiping God, by not paying attention to God, what are you going to do? You're going to constantly run, against, run into problems. Because your own desires, your own loneliness, your own suffering will cause you to break some of God's rules. Your own needs will be so strong that what? You, you'll go against some of God's laws, and when you get, go against some of God's laws, what? It's, you suffer. It's not that God's a big guy in the sky that doesn't like you. <laughs> huh? So you can blame God for your problems. You can't blame God for your problems, because God is only what? He's only delivering to you the results of your actions. God's not... Huh? God can only punish you according to your actions. In other words, you're basically responsible for the problems that come to you. Because if you love God and you follow God's laws, then what? Then God's going to reward you, what? With happiness, with satisfaction, with peace, with bliss. Because you'll find yourself in harmony with everything. Because this universe of God's universe, it's a universe. It's not a multiverse. It's a universe. It's just one experience. It's just one reality. And you want to be in harmony with that one reality if you want to be happy. So before you even think about uh, freedom beyond this world and beyond God, before you even think about that, you need to what? Get yourself worked uh, in harmony with God. Now when we talk about God in this way, that's a different way, isn't it, from religion. Religion just says you do this and don't do that and leave it like that, leave it at that. And that you could never know God, right? That's what they say. You could never be God or know God. They're, they're, in, in normal devotion, we call it Dwaita devotion, it's, it's dualistic bhakti or dualistic. There's no actual, they believe there's no actual connection between the devotee and God, between the lover and the beloved. The beloved is always a remote God. The, the God that you love is always far away in some heaven somewhere else. That God is never here. Understand? So, uh, so religious people who, who believe that God's somewhere else, 
they have just as many problems with the world huh, as what? As, as secular people who don't believe in God at all, as atheists or agnostics. So, what do I have to do? I have to understand my relationship to the world, my body and mind and so forth, because that's understanding God. So we take, we take God from way out there, somewhere else, that can never be known, and we bring it right here, make it immediate, and make it a real, practical, living uh, God. Understand? So my relationship with God is just my relationship with life. Because life is non-separate from God. That's called, huh? We, that, that's non-dual bhakti, or devotion, as opposed to dualistic devotion. Now, you can't immediately move from what? From a dualistic point, point of view in your thinking, from dualistic thinking to non-dual thinking. From what? From dependent love to independent love. Remember, we're, we're, we want to be free of the need for love. And that's entirely possible. But you can't just move from one state to another instantly. You could, in your understanding you can, but your life will not, what, transform immediately into this uh, ever-free, non-dual, ever-present, ordinary, blissful love that is your nature. It's not going to happen. So I need to, what, understand the process the process of life huh, in terms of love. Now this, huh, how are we doing here? Do it. Huh. We okay? We need a break or are we good? Okay. All right then. All right. Huh? Nobody's speaking. Nobody's <laughs> Well, I know it's a lot to assimilate. I understand it's a lot to uh, grasp. So, uh, at a certain point, it'll be too much, and then we'll take a break. But uh, when you start to get a little antsy and want to take a walk or have a drink or take a pee or something, then we'll take a break. Okay. So, we're going to look at life, our, our lives and life itself, in terms of this journey, this life journey from the beginning, spiritual beginning, to the end. In terms of the love filter, there's other ways to look at it, which will amount to the same thing. We can look at it from the point of view of knowledge. We can look at it from the point of view of love. We can look at it from other ways. There are other ways to look at this, from the point of view of of normal people. Well, what's a normal person think life's about? You're born, you live, and you die. Right? And in between, you get a little joy and a little sorrow. Or maybe a lot of sorrow and a lot of little joy. Or maybe a lot of joy but a little sorrow. It's all a mixture. And you don't really know what it means. And huh? Huh? 
and and you're just sitting around waiting to die because you think that's it, and you're you're but then you're gone for good, and thank God it's over. Or, <laughs> huh? No, look at these people out there. Most of your parents, huh? Most of the old people, they're just sitting around waiting to die. Actually, putting them in a nursing home and giving them meds is it's ridiculous. Did you miss that? Uh, just let them die. They, they, uh, I know, that's a bad, uh, sorry, I didn't say that. <laughs> no, but I mean, really, it might as well be vegetables. They just feed them pills, basically, and they just sit there bored. They don't make any contribution to life at all. In fact, they just suck up the resources of, you know, that could be used for more useful pursuits. Did you ever see that movie? You probably, none of you did, but there was a movie, uh, back in the 70s called Soylent Green. Did you ever see that? Yeah, it, it was about, it's about in the future, and the future they're running out of food, just, you know. Oh, yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Huh? So you could get us your special, you could have your special death, and then they take your body and turn it into food and feed other people. <laughs> And you could be locked up in a room, you just see nice movies yeah. all the time yeah. until you die. Yeah, 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 happy. You get happy, then once you got your little happiness in, then your body would die, and then they could make it into food and feed other people, because, you know, life would be go on. So, <laughs> anyway, so we're looking at this whole life journey from start to finish in terms of love. That's a spiritual path. Spiritual path is path of love. And Vedanta is a path of love. I said that. Okay. Now, at the very the first stage, see there's a heart here at every stage? See, there's this notion in the spiritual world that, that, there, that there's a bhakti yoga. That bhakti yoga, love yoga, is a different kind of yoga. I've, I've got a, the book here. It says yoga love, and it's a it's a kind of misleading topic in a way. I didn't call it I didn't call it bhakti yoga. I called it the yoga of love. But you know what yoga means? To connect, to get. Yoga means to gain something. To, to make a connection. That's what yoga means. Yoga means to join two things, two different things together. The word is yoke in, in, in English, to join. And so, if, if reality is non-dual and there's only love, then what's to join? In other words, what kind of yoga is it? Because there's nothing to join, is there? If everything's love, if everything is consciousness, existence, and love, then what's to do? There's no doing involved, is there? But there is obviously a doing, that's why we put the word yoga. So what is this, this yoga of love? Well, there isn't actually a yoga of love. Why? Because love is your nature. Like, let's take Donald Trump. Okay, just for entertainment, guys. <laughs> Would you say that Donald Trump uh, was love? Would you say he was love? 
Could you see him as love? Uh, nobody. <laughs> nobody raising their hands here. You guys are all liberals, right? <laughs> but doesn't Donald love something? Himself. Huh? Himself. Yeah, he loves himself. He loves his ego. Uh, he loves power. He loves his kids. My God, he protects his kids. Holy moly, he'll never say a bad word about his kids, he'll say a bad word about everybody else. Maybe he loves his wife, although she doesn't look like she feels loved. <laughs> but I'm sure in his mind he thinks he loves her. Huh? So, so is, he, uh, is he different from anybody else in terms of love? Even the worst criminals, even these mafia guys, uh, they're, they're, they're just, they just yesterday, they just let the, the son of El Chapo out of prison in Mexico. Because he's much loved. And his, they, they were, all the people in that organization, that criminal organization, that multi-billion dollar criminal organization, they, they were so powerful, they were going to like, just killed thousands and thousands of people, including, you know, important people in the society to get this kid free. Why? Because, because this criminal was much loved. Why? Because, uh, because what? He gave lots of money to everybody. He was generous, actually. So, even the worst kind of killers have love. But what is, what is their love going to? See, this is the point. The point is, what am I doing with my love? Where am I putting my love? Because love is, what is it? Love is just a proper exercise of your free will. <coughs> In other words, huh? it's an appropriate use of your free will. Love is willing attention. Hmm? See that you can see the connection here between love and consciousness. I know you say love and you think one thing, and you say consciousness and you think something else. But love and consciousness or existence are non different. How does that work? L Love is just what? The consciousness or the attention that you pay toward an object. Willingly. Isn't it? Why do I teach Vedanta? Because I love Vedanta. So I'm always thinking about Vedanta. I was up early this morning. I thought I'd forgotten my book. So I... <laughs> I was so anxious, I wanted to make sure I had it right. I, I, I wrote up a new outline and had Garman print it, and Garman said he couldn't, and because somebody was in the room, and we said, Beta Morty, Beta Morty printed. I was only thinking about Vedanta for the last, well, for, for the last 50 years, that's what I've been thinking about. <laughs> Why? I could do other things. I'm a smart guy. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I could chase money or sex or one of those things, but I'm not interested. 
I love the truth. I love knowledge. Means what? I'm always paying attention to it. So, so love is not a special feeling. Love is something that you're doing all the time. And we know, you know, like so many women come to me. Sometimes the men do, but mostly men don't like to share their feelings. But women like to share their feelings. And many women come to me, and they they have they they tell me that, that they have issues with their husbands. And and they say that it's because he doesn't love me. But if I talk to the husband, the husband says, yes, I do love her. This is a very strange thing. He says he loves her, and she says, no, he doesn't love me. Now, what, what's the difference here? She's, she's, and I say, well, what do you mean by that? And you know what she always says? He doesn't pay attention to me. He, he, he comes home from work, he works hard, but he's, he's gone, he leaves at 6 in the morning, he comes back at 7 in the evening, so 12 hours he's gone. He's exhausted from his work, he, he, he doesn't want to talk, so he just says hello, and then he goes to, turns on the TV and gets a couple beers, <laughs> huh? and he watches his sports, huh? and then he just gets up and has, has dinner, and then he's tired, he goes to bed, and he says, Good night, dear, I love you, and that's it. <laughs> but her idea of love is that you should be somebody, should, if you love somebody, you pay attention to them. You don't love, he does love it, but what? He loves the, the idea of a wife, it is mine. Right? He thinks he loves her, but he loves the idea that he has a wife who's going to take care of all you know, his needs. It's like a big mom, I guess. <laughs> a big mother. And, huh? and her idea is, if you love me, you pay attention to me. Because what? Because that's what love is. Love is what you're paying attention to. So, so Donald... Trump, but he's got lots of love. His love is his nature. He wants to be loved. He's, he, he can't stand it that Barack Obama got more, or Hillary got more votes, and Barack Obama got a bigger inauguration crowd than he did. Because it means people love somebody else more than they love him, and he wants to be loved. He wants to be loved by everybody. He's really needy for love. So it's not that he, he's short, it's not that you're short of love, it's that you're just paying attention to what? Objects, material things. That means you're a materialist, you love matter. This, this, the, the pleasure seekers. I'm not talking necessarily money, he loves money, but... The pleasure seekers, there's a whole group of people that just seek pleasure. They don't seek security and wealth or jobs or anything like that. What do they seek? They seek pleasure. Musicians and people like that, druggies. We got a lot of druggies around here, right? 
They're, they're just pleasure seekers, aren't they? Yeah, they're pleasure seekers. It means what? They're materialists. Because it's a feeling in the body that they want. Sex people, the pornography world. Those are all pleasure seekers. They, they love material pleasure. What is that material pleasure? That narcotic feeling that comes in your body when you have sex or drugs or good food or music or whatever it is. So it's, it's not that they don't have love, it's that what? Their love is directed to the material part of reality. Now you can't, you can't deny the material part of reality, can you? In fact, we have a spiritual problem, why? Because we're not sure if we're spiritual or not. Why are we not sure if we're spiritual? Why, what's the problem? Because we have a material side too, don't we? You have a spiritual side, the consciousness, existence, love side, and you've got the material <coughs> side also. Human beings are a mixture of spirit and matter. They're a mixture. And because they're a mixture, they're, they're confused. Am I, am I a, a spiritual being with a material body, or am I a material being with a spiritual needs? What am I? They're, un, they're unclear. Big problem. Isn't that a problem you have? Should I be pursuing material things, or should I be pursuing spiritual things? What should I, what should be my focus? If your focus is on feelings and <coughs> matter and that sort of thing, then you're a materialist. I mean, it's not, there's nothing wrong with it, except that you're going to get a lot of suffering. Understand? If you do pursue, if you stick to your material needs alone. And you're going to get some suffering if you, what? If you just pursue your spiritual life totally, too. Why? Because you'll be ignoring the needs of your body. So, huh? Your appetites and your soul. You can't just deny those, too. Or if you deny your material side and your emotional side, if you just throw that away, you're going to, what? You're going to be agitated, too. So, you know... To live a happy life, I'm going to have to uh, understand what the relationship is between my spiritual side and my material side, and I'm going to have to what? I'm going to have to manage that relationship to keep my mind uh, clear, to keep myself happy. This needs to be worked out. But at the bottom of the scale... Uh, all, you know, we're just materialists. We don't know about this non-dual love that we are. It's always there. There's always a craving for that love. But we have no way to access that love because we're just what? We just identify with our material selves. So here, what? This love of objects, we call it materialism. And atheism, if you're an atheist, it means what? It doesn't mean you're a bad person. What does it mean? What are atheists? 
Atheists are people who can't see God. So they say there isn't a God. Well, you're not going to be able to see God with your eyes, your physical eyes. <coughs> All right. They, they, huh? they, they, want, they want proof. They want physical proof of God, but there's no physical proof of God. Huh? Why? Because you can't see God with your eyes. You can't touch God, feel God, smell God, taste God. It's not an object of your perception. And because it's not an object of perception, what? You say it doesn't exist. That's how, how you think. You think it doesn't. But just because you can't see it and smell it and taste it and touch it like you can smell, smell and taste and touch an object doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It exists all right. It's just not available for your own perception. We're going to make it available for perception, but you have to go through the, the path. You have to go through the discipline. You have to subject yourself to this inquiry to, to make it clear that everything you're smelling and seeing and tasting and touching is what? Is actually God. That the objects that you're contacting are not objects that are apart from you, they're actually your own self. That there's no difference or no separation between you and God. But I have to go through this path, path of love. So here, an atheist is what? Is somebody who doesn't see God. Now, an agnostic is another person. An agnostic is a person who doesn't see God, but they don't say there isn't a God. They're saying maybe a God, maybe there isn't a God. So they they got a little more spiritual wiggle room <laughs> than, than the atheists. Yeah. But once an atheist is shown what God is, they become God lovers like crazy. <laughs> the way it works. And what? And what's the problem here at this level where, where you're attached to material, to your body and to the material world and to pleasure and sensations and so on? What's the, what's the, 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 the downside, the big problem? Attachment. And an attachment is the exact opposite of freedom. It's freedom from attachment to objects that we call freedom. And what would be the what would be the freedom? What would be it would be understanding that what my nature is love. That's the freedom. Why? Because it frees you from this emotional dependency on a person. There's nothing wrong with loving a person. You, huh? you should love for people. Huh? The problem is what? That when I love a person, I, I, attachment comes along with that. And that attachment is painful. Understand? So, so love is here. We call it samsara. The word samsara, it means love of objects. And because I love objects, I have attachment to objects. And that attachment keeps me pursuing objects. 
So samsara is like a, a chakra, it's like a wheel. The more, the more you, you experience objects, the more attached you become, and the more attached you become, the more you experience the objects. And so what? You get locked in this cycle. And it's a depressing cycle. It's, it's frust you're frustrated and depressed. You're angry because you're not free, and you're depressed because what? You're not free. Because that freedom, that pure love that you are, is always present. It's always operating. It's, huh? And even though you don't know it consciously, appreciate it consciously, it, it's there unconsciously just disturbing you. It's saying, you can do better than this. God is in you saying, love me. Love yourself. Love me. That's God is saying that all the time. God's a jealous God. Jealous God means what? God wants only you to love only God. It means yourself. That's what that's saying. God's not a big person in the sky that's jealous because you love some other God. God. God only wants your love. So there's, huh? That, that desire is always present. Even when you're in what? When you're in this unfortunate position of a samsari, a worldly person. Now, the next stage, we call it informal devotion. This is not devotion. <laughs> or you could, if you want to use the word devotion, it's devotion to suffering. <laughs> huh? And you find people who, who, when you give them an argument about the problems in the world, they want to argue back with you because they're devoted to their misery. Because what? Because the misery gives them an identity, at least. And that, that, oh, poor me, I'm suffering so much. Huh? That at least gets sympathy from some people. So they feel loved. This is a way you can milk the world for love. It's amazing. I, I started to get a cold yesterday. An infection in my throat. I started whining and complaining. <laughs> Jesus, all my friends showed up. This one had, had a whole handful of those tape teas. <laughs> and now a friend comes and gets, oh, this pill is a special pill. Take that. That takes care of it. There's an antibiotic. Oh, take it. I just take them off. <laughs> See the love? Huh? Because I'm whining, I'm complaining. Oh, the poor man, he's suffering. Let's help him. Yeah, there's people, people that actually don't want to leave their misery. You know, because because people feel somebody call them up and they say, oh, what can I do? Can I help you? Can I serve you? This and that and the other thing. And they say, oh, they must love me because... <laughs> so they hang on to their misery because that's the only way they know how to get love. It's a perverted thing. They're perverted in their thinking. But it's just a fact. Now, the, the next stage of love is called a personal or a most personal God. And that's, this is under the topic of informal devotion. 
When we get up here, we're talking about formal devotion, but these are for informal devotion, informal love. Now, th this is called you know, your, your personal God, like, say, Jesus. Are there any people here who love Jesus? Yeah. Jesus is a personal God. Uh, Buddha. I love Buddha. Yeah, God's Buddhist. That's personal God. Krishna. I'm a Krishna bhakta. I, I love Krishna. So, so the personal deity. Now, what's what's that's for Vedanta? That's not required, but it's very helpful if you have it. That's why I said earlier, if you have personal deity, you're 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 one leg up on the samsaris, on the worldly people. Now, why it's still duality, and most people think their God's better than other gods, right? The, the Buddhists think Buddha's a better God than the Hindus, and the Christians think their God's better than the Muslims, and the Muslims think Allah's better than Jesus, and right, they're, they've got that sectarianism is a real problem with personal deity, but we don't care about that so much. We're really not interested in the sociological or political problems that come from personal devotion. But what's the advantage of this? In other words, why do, do people have personal deities? Why, why do they have them? Well, and I think points of teaching also, a kind of template to go through the to, 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 to greater wisdom for me. To what? To greater wisdom. To yeah, yeah, but most people, that, that's not the primary reason why people do that. Uh, 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 that is true. But the primary reason is because, because their God doesn't criticize them. Isn't that right? Yes. Jesus loves you. They say Jesus loves you unconditionally. Learn from that. Pardon? You can, but you can learn to be the same, like, like him, to actually become more into the world consciousness. Yeah, you can. No, you can. Absolutely. That's why it's a stepping stone to discovering your identity with Jesus. It can be a stepping stone. But the basic reason is because the, the family, your family, that's the primary love unit in society, isn't it? <coughs> That's, huh? When the family breaks down, you have all kinds of problems in the society. Why? Because the love, the family love, is not there anymore. People lose their confidence. They don't feel they don't feel confident because they're not loved. Because their mom is going to this job and their dad's going to this job, and and nobody has any time to love them anymore. That's a problem with our societies now. The family unit is broken down. But and. Even and when there is a, a family, what happens? It, yeah, isn't this true? Now just think about your own experience. Don't 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 your family members always criticize you in some way? Yes. <laughs> huh? Don't they? They do. They are all happy to tell you what's wrong with you. Aren't they? 
Your mom will tell you what's wrong with you. Your father will tell you what's wrong with you. Often your brothers and sisters tell you what's wrong with you. Your uncles and aunts and who knows, other people, huh? They all have some kind of view about what's wrong with you. They're, they love to criticize you, and they think they know what's best for you, isn't it? And what's best for you is what's, what is best for them, not for you. That's, huh? They just want you to be just like them, and when they see that you're a little different from them, they want you to conform to what they are, and that, so they set up this relationship trying to change you into what they want you to be. Anybody not know that? <laughs> yeah, everybody knows that, because that's the way that uh, family units are, are structured. Now, if I want to be happy, I want, and I want to have a good relationship, I want to have a good relationship with someone who, what, doesn't criticize me. I want someone who accepts me as I am, don't I? Well, Jesus accepts you as you are. Allah accepts you as you are. Buddha accepts you as you are. Dead gurus, this is a favorite, famous uh, issue in the spiritual world. Loving dead gurus. Now, why do you love dead gurus? <laughs> think about it. What? How many people thought, think or thought Ramana Maharshi is my guru? Well, maybe not here, but all over the world, there's millions of people who think Ramana Maharshi is their guru. But Ramana is dead. Now, what's the advantage of loving a dead guru? A dead guru never tells you anything that you don't want to hear. <laughs> dead gurus? Living, living girls will tell you what you don't want to hear, but I've never met anybody who had a dead guru who, told, who said, you're a jerk. You should change your life. The what? No, the I'm just talking about living beings. I'm not talking the Bible. Yeah. Um, no, no, nobody, nobody. Um, your God, your God is somebody who loves you and listens to you. If you love, if you love, if you love somebody. You listen to them. You don't criticize them. Love is what? Understanding what you are, what your problems are, and accepting you as you are with the problems that you have. So, so you, can, you can express all your emotions and all your feelings honestly to your God. You can't honestly talk to your, your immediate family. Why? Because they've got tons of likes and dislikes, and when one of your likes comes up with one of their dislikes, or one of your dislikes meets one of their likes, then what? Then the sparks start flying. Conflict comes, isn't it? And you're sick and tired of it. You don't want to keep arguing with your stupid relatives. You, you think... It. I never understood in the families why families will fight but as soon as a person goes out on the street, they'll treat a stranger with love. 
You'd think the smart thing to do would be go and fight with the strangers, and then when you go home, love your family, because you have to spend most of your time with your family, don't you? So you'd want to have a harmonious situation? No, you have a fight with the family, and it's all your friends and strangers outside that you can have a love relationship with, that you can trust. Well, this is a God you can trust. <laughs> it's actually just a state of mind. There's no actual God there talking to you. You're just talking to yourself. But you personified <coughs> God. God's not a big person in the sky. But here you personify God. In other words, what do you do? Personify means bring God down to your level so you can communicate. Now in Vedanta, we're going to uh, lift you up to God's level. But before you can get up to God, lift you up to God's level, uh, but before you can live, go up to God's level, you've got to get God down, you should, or hopefully, you can get God down to your level so you can solve your psychological problems with, with God. God can, can help you there. It's a catharsis. And as you share your problems, you become more aware of them, you become objective about them, and that, huh? And that's because what? Because you, you're, uh, you're actually uh, got a therapy, a certain kind of therapy. They've discovered that people who love God uh, are, are more emotionally healthy than people who don't. And the beauty of this is you can love God any way you want, because there's no rules. Now, once we get up here, there are rules of love. Once we get to formal devotion, there are rules. This is Vedanta, this is called yoga love. Vedanta and yoga love, there's rules here, at these two stages. But here there's no rules. You can love God anyway, because God's not going to criticize you. You know, like if you say, if you say to, you're born in a really straight up type Christian family, and you, and you feel you're gay, you don't want to tell your family, you don't want to come out to your family, do you? Because you know what it's going to be. It's going to be hell. Well, maybe you'll get understanding parents, <coughs> and maybe you won't, but generally, you won't. But you can tell God, you can express your feelings about who you are and what you feel. You can express that honestly, and you're not going to be criticized. You'll be heard. So, so at this at this state, huh, there's more to it. We don't have time to get into the details on everything. I'm just generally. Is it what time for? Maybe. Yeah. Let's let's take a break.